made it easy. Open your Bibles over to the Gospel of Luke, if you will. And as you turn there, if you'll turn to the 18th chapter, the 9th verse through verse 14. In these two weeks, I'm just kind of going expositionally, secessionally right through these scriptures, and, and they're powerful. Probably won't do this next weekend, but I did it last week, and I like to just kind of mix it up. As soon as the offering, is, is the offering almost passed? Yes. If it's passed by your row, I'm going to invite you to stand up, if you would, and hear God's word this morning. Reading um, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter from the New Living Translation, starting in verse 9. And then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You can be seated. Man, that is a great word from God's word about the contrast of, of two men that came into the temple, that came near. One had it right, one was incredibly, incredibly bad. You know, I've read scripture, like you, hopefully, for a lot of years. And as you read the scripture, I like to read prayers. A lot of that is the book of Psalms and others, and you read scriptural prayers. But the longest prayer in the Old Testament, outside of probably Psalm 119, if you call that a prayer, is Nehemiah chapter 9. And it runs Nehemiah 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 5 through 38. And if you pray or go through that, it can take five, six, seven minutes maybe if you prayed it. I don't know. The longest prayer in the New Testament is John 17. That's the great priestly prayer. It's the great prayer of Jesus. And uh, it's 26 verses, and you can read that in a few minutes also. But more commonly, as you read Scripture, prayers are brief, concise, specific, and not long. And the church said, where do we get it wrong? Because you see, in my profession, somewhere, I think in seminary or somewhere they mess us up, they teach us a, a language that's unknown to other languages. Like every, every vernacular, every discipline has a language. The medical profession, they have a, they, the law profession. How many of you love that? You, you read legal documents. You have no clue what it means. I even took every law class undergraduate. And I think I can understand, but then sometimes I'll call Eric or I'll call a lawyer friend and go, man, what does this mean? And they'll go into a dissertation for 15 minutes. I go, tell me something simple. And you can just, you can go into the accounting world and they start talking all their formulas and stuff. And just any discipline, everybody has their own language. But somehow in the church, in the religious realm, we think if you're verbose, if you're long-winded, you're spiritual. And I even have friends that get their God voice on when they pray. Put on a God voice. And I'm not going to tell you that I haven't had a God voice before or, or attempted to have a God voice, but at the end of the day, 
I'm reminded of a man one time that was in our home, in a home group at Christ Community, and he never prayed out loud before. In that particular night, he was urged by the Spirit to pray, and he prayed a prayer. And he finished the prayer, and everybody was in awe. And then he made this quick comment. He goes, my prayer wasn't very good. And I turned to him and I said, I think your prayer was the only one heard tonight. It was sincere and genuine. And it touched the heart of the Father. See, when you do what I do for a living, and I get invited all the time to pray. I just prayed the invocation for, for Doug. I used to do pastoral prayers at my last church. You, you pray and you, you develop these words and, and phrases. And, and I was always trying to say, God, I want it to be scriptural. I want it to be scriptural. And that's a good prayer. But then I read these prayers of Jesus, and I read the Scripture, and so many times they're short. So today, this is the power of the unpretentious prayer. I mean, if we're not, if we are honest, we have some pretentious prayers that we pray. Like today, let's just be real. When we go to lunch, I would say if you pray for your meal, 98.9999 will pray a prayer that I can pray right now. You're going, man, have you been with me? Yeah. You pray that same prayer every time. You know, we, and, and here's the prayer that really gets me. Now lay me down to sleep if I should die before I wake. I don't know who created that, but that's like the scariest prayer for a little kid. I remember one night I was laying in my bed in an unspiritual home, but I was taught that. And I contemplated, if I should not wake, you know what that does to a seven-year-old? It will mess you up. Because I had a big brother, and he told me that there was a boogeyman under my bed. So I was thinking, here's this God that they say that loves me, and I might not wake up, and there's somebody under my bed. It will mess you up. That's how I started on this prayer thing. But in, Matt, in Luke 18, 13, there's a really awesome prayer. Have mercy on me, or one translation says be merciful to me a sinner in your bible just circle it underline it highlight it man that that is a prayer that gets heard so there is a time and a place for long prayers and most of those are in our prayer closets when we go in and we close the door as the king james version says and we meet with abba back here in my war room i close the door and i get on my knees and i spend long times of prayer in my home I kneel by my chair on a pillow, and I pray long prayers. But in public, and I prayed some long prayers in public, you ought to see a bunch of preachers get together, and let's have the great American pray-off. We call it the great American prayer. It's really the great American preach. Because, see, when you're not asked to preach and you're to pray, you want to preach. And you know what? So if somebody starts preaching to you in the prayer, go, look, we have a preacher, and you are not him. Pray. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay. So here it is, this prideful man. And they, they contrast. So fill in the blank here. The parable of the two hearts, the two prayers, contrast pride and humility. One is full of himself, one is full of pride, and the other one is completely humble, broken, contrite, trembles at God, I believe. And so my question is, will we pray as a Pharisee or as a tax collector? We have a choice. Who am I going to pray like? So I would just write the word out, evaluate. I have to evaluate. I have to evaluate every day, every time I pray. Lord, how am I going to pray? Am I going to be like a, 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 a noble or I think a noble Pharisee or somebody righteous that wears a robe and wants to be heard by men? 
Or am I going to be a broken man that just goes, God, I fall short. I can't even lift my head to you. Avoiding the mentality of the, the Pharisee. And we'll talk about the Pharisee in a little bit, but I, I, I wrote this down. I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not blank. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not lazy. At least I'm not a liar. At least I'm not judgmental. At least I'm not liberal. Lord, at least I'm not like my friend. Lord, at least I'm not like that. And that's a prayer. You might as well go ahead and put that prayer in the garbage. God doesn't hear that prayer. And for some reason, we want to have performance, and we get caught up in that. I don't know if we're taught that, and we learn it. But these, this pride and humility, pride just somehow, every time pride comes, it's ugly. It's unattractive. It's unbecoming, not winsome. It just turns Jesus off, and it really pushes away the body of faith. And, and yet when we ask for forgiveness and for grace and for mercy, I think the Father draws near with a listening ear. And the real house of faith is drawn to a prayer of contrition, of brokenness, of transparency. Pride is idolatrous. Pride is worship of self. I struggle with pride every day. Does anybody else struggle with pride but your pastor? That was not rhetorical. Let me ask it again. Does anybody in this room struggle with pride but me? Yeah. Pride's ugly, isn't it? And sometimes we think we get away with it, but the Holy Spirit will check us, or somebody that really loves us will call us out, and we go, man, that was... That was really promotion of me. And, and the Pharisee, he was, he was really good at that. He was, he was the most pious person. And the tax collector, one translation calls him the publican, he was despicable. He was, he was gross. It would be like the most active elder and the drug dealer come into the church to pray. And the active elder goes, Oh God, thy great God that goeth before me. You are so lucky to have me on thy team. With thy sendeth fire in this place. And then you look over to the drug dealer. And the drug dealer goes, Woe is me, a man undone, sinful. Have mercy on me. Whose prayer gets heard? Surely it's the holy elder. Not according to Jesus. So broken sinner. And that's really kind of the message today about his holiness, about what the tax collector is versus the Pharisee. Um, in this day in the temple, you know, some people weren't maybe allowed to come in because of their sin or their behavior. And, and uh, definitely the tax collector, people really didn't want him around. You know, he'd uh, already ripped them off. Maybe he was ripping them off that afternoon when the service was over. I don't know. But he's, uh, you know, this, this word, uh, he's called a, uh, uh, a publican. Don't confuse that with Republican. I thought that was funny. You didn't think, yeah, okay, you didn't get it. He was just sinful. He was just wicked. He just wanted to have religious activity. He wanted to go for show. And what it's interesting, as I study through this, these, these tax collectors, like we talked about last weekend, they would, uh, they would the, the wicked judge last weekend, they, they would be bribed or they would bribe people to, to get the right to be able to sit and charge taxes. 
and then they could charge the tax rate at whatever they wanted. I mean, it's just amazing. You could just rip people off however much you wanted. And it sounds kind of like politicians, doesn't it? Tax collectors. And, I'm not, and there's some good politicians, and I'm grateful for those, and there's some that probably aren't. But anyway, the, the, I think the tax collectors, they definitely had an abundance of money and power. Well, this tax collector we read about in Luke, he was broken. I think he realized what we have to realize ourselves. My money won't satisfy my need. My money's not enough. I, I need more. I think the tax collector, if he was sitting here this morning, he'd go, I have a lot of shame. I'm ashamed of my behavior. I'm ashamed of my sins. I'm ashamed of my belief structure. I'm ashamed of how I live and what I do. And Lord, I want you to just have mercy on me. I want you, I want you to do something great for me god and yet the pharisee would hold himself up as man i am mr morality i'm god's favorite i've been chosen by god everybody should bow when i'm here because it's good to be here and uh, and the tax collector is just going to charge tax but let's let's pick up the outline here look there at verse 10 one man was received by god and who was he the tax collector the publican he got received by the father he he, it was good. The Lord heard the prayer of the wicked, simple, hated tax collector. His prayer was simple. Will you circle the word there on your outline? Will you circle the word simple? I read a book one time called Simple Prayer. I, I, like, I like the title of that, Simple Prayer. Man, that, that's a book for me, Simple Whatever. But that's the prayer that God loves, that the Lord doesn't ignore. Not the prayer of the one that, God, I thank thee, and goes into his God voice. But God, the, the voice that, God, I, I need you. I need you to come near. Uh, the religious Jews of that day, they, they, they prayed. They, they prayed on a regular basis. They had certain times that were established to pray. And if they were in the temple, they would go into the temple. If they were near or away from the temple, they would face toward the temple of Jerusalem, and they would pray at designated times of the day. I think there's uh, religions today, like the Muslims and others, that they still have that kind of rhetoric, that they, they pray at certain times. They, they think that's what makes them holy. But in this story, the, 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 the Pharisee, he just picks out three that he, he's not like, the three kinds of people that, at least I'm not them. Anytime you and I start comparing ourselves to one another and thank God I'm not like them or thank God I don't be practice in that behavior, Pride begins to well up in our hearts and it becomes idolatrous and we worship it, that idol, and God's just not good with that. The nicest Pharisee in town, though. You know, I pick on the Pharisees a lot, rightfully so. But in the day of Jesus Christ, in the day of when Jesus would walk in and out of the temple, the word Pharisee at one time was not an insult to the people at all. The word Pharisee basically meant that they were the highest rank of religious people in the community. Some historians say there were probably some maybe 2,000 Pharisees of all the people. So at one time, it was not necessarily that they were bad. If you say, you're a Pharisee, it's like, man, there's some religious activity in your life. It's just, it's so easy to corrupt that and to go a different way, to be lost. The, the Pharisees, they had a lot of the Torah. They had the scriptures committed to memory. So there were some good things there. They even had leather boxes on their wrist. And on their wrist, do you know what was in, inside the box? The scripture. I mean, have I showed you my box lately? No, I don't have one. 
But so they they were in some ways noble, in some ways they were extremely religious. They here's what else the Pharisees or the Jews in that day, they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Every week. Man, that was their religious obligation. They would just go and they would fast. And but the, the problem was it wasn't that they fasted, God said that was good. But when the Pharisees fasted, they wanted to make it public. They wanted everybody to know they were fasting. They wanted everybody to know that they were in the temple, that they were for God, that they were God's person. And that never serves the Lord very good. It could be a picture of people in the church. could be some of us today. They're like, hey, I'm in the church. Look, look, everybody. Check the box. I'm here. It's the epitome of righteousness. I have come to the temple today. I'm glad you came. It is good that we go to the house of the Lord. That is, that's great. Do not forsake assembling with one another. That's Hebrews. Amen. But not to come in and go, hey, did you, did you go to church today? Have you ever used that kind of, have you ever asked that question in a condescending way? Or did you go to church today? Yeah, like, well, uh, and you could ask it in a very kind way, or you could ask it like, well, I did. I must be God's favorite this week, you know? And you're already starting that road of condescending. But so. The one man was received by God. Look at verse 11. The one man was refused by God. So one gets received. That's the tax collector, the publican. And one gets uh, refused, gets like cast off, gets, gets pushed away. Look what I said here. The Pharisee, on the other hand, was ignored by the Lord. He was just praying to himself. He went home feeling very good about his piety about himself. You know, sometimes, I mean, it, it feels good to go to the house of the Lord. I hope when you leave here, you're refreshed. I hope you're fed. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. I hope God deals with your heart. I hope God cleanses your heart. I hope that you draw near to him. That, that is all the reasons to come. But it's not to go and say, well, God, I, I want to put myself over somebody else. The, the, the character of the heart is always on display. My heart is always on display. Your heart is always on display to everybody that comes in contact with you. And uh, so this Pharisee, man, he, you know, he, he was out there. So here it is. Look in verse 11, following the outline. He had a haughty prayer. Anytime somebody calls you haughty or you're into haughtiness or there's this haughty prayer, it's not good. Because the Pharisee was quick to tell the Lord who he was and what he had done. He was quick to brag about his self-righteousness. He was quick to compare himself. Just on that outline, I, I feel like this is a good word. Just write the word compare and circle it or box it and go back to it. And, and ask yourself this question this week. Am I quick to compare myself with other people? It's, real, it's really easy to do that. It's real easy to get the religious spirit and the upper hand William Barclay, an old, old commentator, when I first started ministry, everybody says, you need some William Barclay commentaries. They read antiquated English. But he was bright, but he said this. It's on record that Rabbi Simeon once said, if there are only two righteous men in the world, I and my son are these two. If there is only one, I am he. <laughs> Do you think he was full of himself? Me and my family, but if it's the only one, it's noble me. Man, that, that, kind of, that kind of faith, that kind of religion, man, God is, I think, repulsed that. When we brag about our religious works, God is not glorified. When we brag about, I give more than you give, God is not glorified. 
He is blessed when we serve. He is blessed when we give. That's the way of a disciple of Jesus Christ. I always teach and want to model and pray that. And I want you to, and you do. So many of you do. Amen. But it's not for you to go up and show others like, man, I outgave you this month. Let's step it up. I outgave you last year. I outserve you. I serve in five areas of our church. You serve in none. Why don't you sit outside next week? I'm like, man, what, what a church. I'm, I'm sure they would get the award for evangelism, you know. Or if we spread our arms out and lift high prayers. And here's, here's what's happening in, in, the, in, the, in the doctrine and the discipline I am as a pastor. We go to meetings. We have prayer meetings. We have conferences. And we do all these things. But I've been in events. And I remember this one time I was in the room with these holy men. And I respected them. But they started elevating their voice. And they raised it higher and higher. The meeting was verbose, and it went on and on, and it concluded after an hour and 15 minutes. This is prayer time. And I went over to one of the guys, and I said, I have a question for you. I was only 40 years old. I was only three years in with Christ Community. And I never got invited back, but I asked this question. Do you suppose that our God is deaf? He said, what? I said, y'all's voice, y'all get a cadence, and y'all raise it, and y'all get louder and louder that God might hear. Can your God not hear? And he tried to give me some rhetoric, and he didn't invite me back to the meeting. Guess what? Good. I didn't enjoy it anyway. And some of these men I really did like, but I just saw something. I went, man. Why do you get so wanting to be seen by men? So in verse 12, look, let's look here at the text in 18.12. Look at it. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Just write down the word inform. He starts trying to inform everybody. This is what I do. Anytime we want to inform others, it's not good. I tithe men. I pluck leaves. I give 10% of all my assets. I do this. I do this. The, what happens is the sinful nature, the depravity of man just begins to take over and roll and roll and roll. And he prays. There's pride. It's just ugly. But then there's the tax collector, and he just, he's humble. Write it in verse 13, humble prayer. He just prays a simple, humble prayer of confession. He knows that I have nothing to offer the Lord except my sinful heart and my sinful behavior and how I've ripped people off. He knows and acknowledges that he is wicked and unrighteous and unholy and everything he doesn't need to be. But there is no pretense in the tax collector. It's one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture as I read God's Word. I find myself during the week just crying out this prayer god have mercy on me a sinner that's all i pray and that's a that's a good prayer it's a scriptural prayer have you found yourself praying that prayer okay let's ask it have you found yourself praying that prayer oh no i am not like bob next door i'm not talking about you bob i'm not like bob i'm not like bill we don't have a bill do we right now okay we'll pick on bill I'm not like Bill. I am holier than him. Holiest. What is that? But I am righteous. Hear me. 
roar before God. <laughs> God, help us humble. You know, he, you know what the tax collector does? He does self-analysis, and he beats his chest before God. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I don't know if he literally did or not, but he, but he does recognize. I'm unclean. I'm unholy. I'm a mess. That's what comes to my mind. I'm a mess without Jesus. I'm a mess with Jesus. How about you? I mean, man, I, I do some things that I'm ashamed of, and they're not becoming of a Christian, of a Christ follower. And then I got this other title in my name, Pastor. Oh, it's so fun preaching this today. So I can do this this week and point back at me. You sinner. Like, I can just imagine next time I pray at a public gathering, I'm going to go, was this the prayer of the Pharisee or the tax collector? Did I want men to hear my prayer or did I want God to hear my prayer? I want the Heavenly Father that can do something about it to hear me, and I know you do. That's why you gather. There's a plea for mercy in verse 13. The tax collector is so different in his tone, in his spirit, and it's gracious. And those are the prayers that I think when we pray powerful prayers that are redeeming and contagious and are heard by God. I just look back at the chaplain and I, I just this wave just comes over me of you serving our troops, chap, and all the things you've done. I can only imagine you've probably prayed some Pharisee prayers. I don't know, maybe you're better than me. But you have probably prayed some incredible prayers of your soldiers that have been in really tough situations where you come alongside to console them. I know as a pastor, I get to walk into situations where people are dying and people have just lost a loved one. And there's no room for pride and arrogance and pretense. There's room for the holiness of God. Amen? Just to be broken. Just to, sometimes I go in a room, I don't even know how to, and everybody's like, preacher, could you pray? And sometimes I'm like, I want to go, I got nothing. And then the Holy Spirit kicks in and he makes groans and intercessions. Up, and he prays and, and I pray and he'll give me a word many times. And I'm grateful for his presence, just like you are. Oratory, is that, is that quote going to come up? Is our oratory quote on there? It is? Look at this. This, this. this guy's he's really rich and deep to read. He's a great writer. Not a single syllable should be uttered in prayer, either in public or private, until we're really conscious that we are coming into God's presence. Would that statement change our prayer life? Instead of just throwing out some religious rhetoric, because that's the thing religious people do, God, I want to make sure that I'm broken and clean and right before you, and there's no pretense in my prayer, but I want to be conscious of your presence. And I want to invite others into your presence. Because in your presence, there's fullness of joy. I want you to write this down. I, I, I meant to put it in my notes, and, and, and I don't have it there. But this, this is the summation of what I'm trying to say today. I want, you to write, I want you to draw your own box. I don't know where you're going to draw it. Just put a box in there. And I want you to write this inside the box. And this right here could change your life. Real prayer is a cry for help. Real prayer is a cry for help from the Holy One. God, you're my helper. 
could you help me today to forgive that person? Father, could you help me today as I go over to the church and I begin this? Father, today I go to the study. Could you help me with a message for the weekend? God, I'm going to the hospital. Could you help me as I see that cantankerous patient today in Jesus' name? God, I'm going to the accounting office, and I've got a client that is not very nice. Could you help me, God, when I go in there? Do you think those prayers are powerful? Yeah. Here it is, a student's prayer. Father, I am not the best student. Could you help me when I go in to take my exam today? God, I goofed off. I didn't put in the time. I didn't study. Could you help me ace this test in Jesus' name? I used to pray that prayer all the time, and I, I, I want to go ahead and tell you, it don't work. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you're looking at one. It didn't work. When I put the time in, it worked, and then I prayed too, especially after I met Christ and I realized that God loved me and he had some direction and blessing, and I would pray and work hard. I remember this prayer. I, I probably told you this story, but I tell you, this is the most humbling thing ever. I was about second or third year at Emory, and I was uh, in this uh, history class. And man, it, and it was Dr. Chuck Zimmerman was my professor in church history. And we called him Machine Gun Zimmerman. This guy makes me talk like high, real prayer is a cry for help. This guy could, he just crank it out. And, we, and the program I went through, we did every course in two weeks. We had, to read, we had to read stacks of books, write tons of papers, and you turn them in, that was 50% of your grade. And when you got to class, you had two classes for two weeks, and you might have one to two exams in that, and you went through the whole thing. So it was like just accelerated. You were flying. And I got in there, and I never will forget. I studied and studied and studied, and it was church history exam, and I was doing pretty good. And I got in there, and I sat down to write. And your pastor, it never happened ever before or ever after, but this one day it did. I sat down to take my exam, and my mind locked up, and I knew nothing. And I'd studied all, all week for this thing. And I just sat there. And do you think I prayed, God, you are so lucky to have me at this theological institution. May you now bring fire and consume my paper with answers. No, I just prayed, God, have mercy. I need you, God. I don't want to go home till Donna. I flunked. And, and I sat there. And I'm telling you, God heard that prayer. I sat there for another five minutes. And, and you're laughing because I'm verbose and I don't have a problem writing or talking. But this day, it just, it just locked down. I, I tried to cram too much. And then the gate opened. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote until he came to my desk and says, time's up. And I told him, I said, Dr. Zimmerman, I choked back there. And then he smiled. He said, you Cheshire cat, don't smile at me. I about failed your exam. Anyway, I don't know why I tell you that. Some of you are saying, because there's hope for me. I'm a lot smarter than you. I know you are. There's one, but, but here it is. So a haughty prayer, a humble prayer. Now, move down to verse 14 with me. Now, how is it the tax collector who acknowledged the, that he was a sinner left the temple right with God? The Pharisee, you would have thought, he's the one that's right with God. No, he wasn't. But the scripture says the other one got it right. Pride always preaches merit. Humility always pleads for compassion. Let me say that again. I, I love this. Pride preaches merit. My merit. 
self-accomplishment. Humility always pleads for the compassion of God. It pleads for the compassion of others. In hell, this morning, there's one religion. It's called self-sufficiency. I will take care of myself. I will have God weigh my moral standards before others. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Self-sufficiency has never done it, never will. D.L. Moody once said, mere knowledge will not save you. Carpenters, during the day of Noah, they knew that carpentry, they probably knew a lot more about carpentry than Noah. But that didn't save them. When the flood came, they felt helpless. You can come to the church and go, man, the church will save me. Well, the church is here to be a place of institutional learning and growth and celebration in the body of Christ together. But just because you sit here doesn't make you saved. It's abiding in the Lord Jesus. Amen? It's trusting. It's knowing Christ. It's relationship with Him. So here it is. It's confession of sin. That's what the tax collector does. He places God above Himself. And he goes, God, I am unworthy. In the Greek, it actually says, I am the sinner. I mean, God, God loves to hear that from you and me. God, I blew it. I have no merit on my own. But thanks be to God for the grace and mercy of Jesus. And then there's always that plea for mercy. You know, in one translation, it talks about the mercy seat. You know, over there in the lid of the covenant, the, the mercy seat, um, it, it's neat, the Day of Atonement, the, the, God would look down and he would see inside there would be the Ten Commandments or whatever, and see the law and the lack of moral performance. But then they would sprinkle the blood, and that would be the mercy seat. We, go, we run to the mercy seat this morning in Jesus. Isn't that good news, church? And that blood of Christ has been applied to us as believers. And God can see us righteous, redeemed, holy, because of what he's done. Not what we've done, what he's done. Lord, I'm sinful. You remember the Rock of Ages? It says, nothing in my hand I bring but simply to the cross I cling. You knew it, did you? Simply to the cross I cling. You and I don't bring anything. We just bring filthy rags. That's what Isaiah says. Your righteousness is as filthy rags unto the Lord. But when I cling to the hope of Jesus, when I cling to the old rugged cross, that's enough. God, thank you for the cross. Exodus, write down Exodus 25, 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide. Anyway, he talks there about the mercy seat. You, you do a lot more study on it. But in verse 14, here's what I want to say. He goes to the house, and he's justified, God says. The way up is down. Because this guy can't even look to heaven. He can't even look down on other people. He just looks down at the floor. So fill in these blanks. The basis of justification here. The basis of salvation has never been based on what you and I do. It's on what has already been done at the cross. What Christ has done for us and what he does now is he intercedes to the Father on our behalf. The, the penalty of sin is paid. I am grateful for the cross, church. Are you grateful for the cross? I'm grateful for the blood of Christ that cleanses me from sin. I'm grateful that Jesus forgives me and remembers my sin no more when I confess and I repent and I turn to him. He's a gracious God. Then the second blank is the means of justification. What does it mean to be right with God? Well, I know that everyone who exalts himself will be 
humbled. That's what the scripture teaches. So God, you're into humility, so help us to be a people of brokenness. Help us to be a people that don't give out excuses. And the last one is just the outcome of justification. He's deeply convinced that God accepts him. God accepts him on the merit of Christ, on the merit of what Christ has done for us. Here's how I'll close this morning. The gift of salvation is, is a prayer away. Jeremy, if you'll just come to the piano, but he, here it is. Uh, I could sit here and debate this theological, and we could talk about it forever, and I'm not going to do that today, maybe another day. But uh, I've given a lot of invitations and seen a lot of people come to Christ in the last 35 years as a pastor. And several years ago, I just saw how God is deepening my theology of my understanding of God and, and maybe trying to help people be more biblical Christians. I think that's the goal of every believer. And David Platt, the great writer of uh, Radical and the president of the IMB, he talks a lot about the sinner's prayer and all this, and, and we could talk about that another day. But here, here's the bottom line. You've probably noticed I've even really changed up a lot the way I do it around here. But the thing that I invite people to do all the time is I invite you to follow Jesus. See, salvation is so much more than just a prayer and a pamphlet or a prayer that somebody told me to pray. And I understand all those, and I've prayed those, and I've led thousands of people in that. But here, here's the crux of the gospel. The gospel is good news for people that realize that they're sinful and they need to be saved. They're sinful and they need their, their life cleaned by the blood of Jesus. And to be a Christian means to follow Jesus Christ. So pretty much every weekend you'll hear me say something like this. Would you consider following Jesus? This, this prayer here, it might not have all the wording, but it just goes, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, when I came to Jesus Christ one wintry night, I didn't have a sinner's prayer. I didn't have Billy Graham. I didn't have a pastor. I didn't have a youth pastor. I didn't have anybody with me. I came under conviction. Didn't even know what conviction was. But I do remember this. I got out of my little bed in my dorm room and I hit the floor. And I looked to heaven because God had awakened my heart. And I said, God, forgive me and have mercy on me. That's all I knew how to say. And let me tell you what happened, friend. I was born again by that simple prayer. I got up. I put in alcohol that night, never touched it since. My language changed overnight. I called one of my best friends and said, I met Jesus this week, and I saw a life change by just a simple prayer, but it was more. It was, God, I submit my will to your will. I want to follow you. Does that help you, church? I'm just trying to give you a great biblical salvation that biblical salvation always involves repentance that I turn from sin and I turn to Christ and I follow him. So all the days that I preach here and all the days that I serve you, weddings and funerals and everything, I just pray, you know, they were a follower of Jesus. They loved Jesus Christ more than they did themselves. They loved the Lord of glory. And that's what I invite you to, a relationship. I don't want you to be a bunch of Pharisees. Keith pastors the first Pharisee church of Montgomery. Let's leave right now, okay? But how about, he pastors that church that's got a lot of sinful people. 
but they cry for the mercy of God. That's God's word this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how you ended this service today that we want to just cry out that simple word today. Maybe there's somebody here today that just needs to say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you. I invite you to take control of my life. I trust in your shed blood for me. I want to follow you. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen.